Hey guys and welcome to my podcast on the Irish famine. In this episode I'm going to be telling you all about what took place between 1845 and 1852. By the end of this podcast I'll have hoped you'll have learned some interesting new facts and I'll have widened your knowledge on the famine. So let's get straight into it. So just to begin I'll go over a quick timeline with you guys. So we have the start of the famine in 1845 and September was when the farmers began to realise that a disease had destroyed the majority of their crops. We go on into 1846 when the first deaths were reported and they stopped government food and relief works which left many people with no food or work and at the time they were still exporting grain to England. We go on into 1847 then when they went to plant more potatoes but due to the lack of seed potatoes their crop was low and the harvest was even lower. In 1848 then we have cholera outbreaks began and the number of evictions started to go up. In 1849 the crop failed again and there were more and more cholera outbreaks. 1850, the famine had technically ended, but it was still a bleak and unsure time for many people. In 1851, one million people had died and one million people had emigrated to Canada, England and Australia. And by 1852, the potato produce had increased to about 5 million tonnes, which was the first time since the beginning of the famine in 1845. The Irish famine, also known as the Great Hunger, took place from 1845 to 1852 in Ireland due to a period of starvation and disease. It began because of a potato blight that rapidly spread throughout Ireland and destroyed half of the potato crop in the first year, and over the next seven years destroyed roughly three quarters of the crop. What you need to remember about Ireland is that during the 1800s we were essentially under the rule of Great Britain, and because of that Ireland's executive heads was essentially landowners from British origin. Any Catholic Irishman was prohibited from owning or leasing land and weren't allowed to vote. The potato had been introduced to Ireland a hundred years before the famine began and it quickly became a staple food for the poor, particularly during cold winters. The crops began to fail as a result of the blight, which we now know years later, travelled to Europe on trade ships and spread to England and finally Ireland. A blighted potato was black and rotten and it becomes with a horrible smell. The farmers thought it was a once-off the spring of 1845 and they still managed to save some crops. However, the following spring they planted even more potatoes to make up for what they had previously lost. Then, when harvest time came around and almost their entire crops had been wiped out, the Prime Minister knew he had to do something. Sir Robert Peel at the time set up a commission of inquiry in order to find out what caused the crops to fail and how to preserve them. The two scientists he hired, John Linley and Lyon Playfair, were unfortunately unable to figure out how to stop the spread and could only discover that it thrived in wet conditions, which, as we know in Ireland, is our main weather. What came as a surprise to all, however, was the harvest of 1847, which was partially successful, but unfortunately there was a relapse in 48 and 49. And because of this relapse, a second period of famine occurred, which also in turn caused disease to spread rapidly. 1849 was the worst year for this as cholera struck. However, cholera wasn't the only disease. There were many more, such as fever, tuberculosis, smallpox and measles, which was more common among younger children. Asiatic cholera coincidentally appeared in 1848 to 1849 and it increased the overall mortality rate from the famine. However, fever was the most lethal of all during the famine as it was highly contagious and it was the neglect of personal and domestic hygiene, overcrowding in homes and workshops and migration that caused the fever to thrive. Scurvy, which was another significant disease, was caused by the lack of vitamin C and for the poor in Ireland, potatoes were a main source of this and crop failure quickly made scurvy emerge after 1845. The most obvious effect to come from the famine was emigration. It's estimated that one million people emigrated during the famine, mainly to North America, Australia and Britain. From 1845 to 1855, 1.5 million people left, and over the next five years it averaged out at 200,000 people a year.
The majority of people paid their own fees. However, 3% of people had their fees paid by their landlords. A fare to Canada would cost 55 shillings, while a fare to the USA would cost between 70 shillings and £5. Due to sickness and disease that spread during the famine, many emigrants suffered from fever and quickly the ships became known as coffin ships. Due to emigration, the population of Ireland went from 8.2 million people in 1841 to 6.5 million people in 1851. 70% of people went to the USA, 28% to Canada and 2% to Australia. There were two different ways of travel on ships, steerage and standard class. Steerage was crowded and below the decks and often these people weren't allowed on top of the decks. Standard class had berths and could walk on decks. It's estimated that as many as 40% of steerage passengers either died en route or immediately after arrival. An extract taken from a man's diary tells us about what he saw on his voyage. Hundreds of poor people, men, women and children of all ages huddled together without light, without air, wallowing in filth and breathing a fetid atmosphere. Sick in body, dispirited in heart, the fevered patients lying beside the sound by their agonised ravings disturbing those around. The food is generally ill-selected and seldom sufficiently cooked in consequences of the insufficiency and bad construction of the cooking places. The supply of water, hardly enough for cooking and drinking, does not allow for washing. No moral restraint is attempted. The voice of prayer is never heard. Drunkenness, with all its consequent train of ruffinly debasement, is not discouraged because it is found profitable by the captain who traffics in grog, watered down rum. The Irish language was another thing that declined in the years after the famine. In the early 1800s, 40% of our population spoke Irish. By 1845, 30%. Because the famine hit rural areas the hardest, and this is where the majority of our Irish speakers were from, this is why the numbers went down so quickly. By 1861, Irish speakers had fallen to 24% and eventually reaching a low of 18%. Irish language has been brought back up slowly through Geltox and being taught in schools. Another thing the famine affected was the farming. Before the famine, it was common for farmers to subdivide land between their sons. After the famine, farmers had learned from what historians say was an exaggeration from subdivisions on land. The system of impassable land inheritance disappeared quickly and fathers would pass the farm down to the eldest and most educated son. So seeing as it's our local area, I thought I'd just give you a brief overview of the famine in Sligo. So it's estimated that more than 52,000 people from Sligo either died of disease or starvation or else they emigrated. On December 22nd, 1845, a report was sent to the Relief Commission by the Town and Harbour Commissioner of Sligo, detailing the situation in the area and writing for immediate help. You will see that our town requires immediate attention. When we find more than seventh part of the population in want of employment on the mean of procuring the necessities of life, their patience and good disposition will, we very much fear, be broken unless some immediate relief is given by some public employment. People who starved to death were buried without coffins in Giva, and Saigo was one of the main ports of emigration on the west and it was known as the coffin ship port as usually it was very poor sickly people going there for emigration. Thousands of people who couldn't afford it walked 140 miles from Saigo to Dublin. Records show that 17,943 people travelled from Sligo to Canada and 4,567 to the USA from 1847 to 1850. So I'm sure some of you have heard about Black 47, and for those who haven't, it was supposedly the worst year of the famine. In January 1846, Daniel O'Connell went to Parliament and declared that Robert Peel wasn't doing enough to fight the famine. Eight months later, Peel was no longer Prime Minister, and the situation was still the same. 
Men who had been surviving off food depots and public work projects found succour in neither. The food depots had been told to preserve their grain till December. However, day after day, people still showed up and depot workers would pass out cornmeal, lowering their preserves. In Waterford, an armed militia blocked two barges that were transporting grain to England. They then started to steal bread from the town and lighting buildings on fire. Soldiers then appeared and when the militia didn't leave, they started firing. They killed six men. Sir Charles Trevelyan was a not-so-generous legend in the civil service. He believed poverty was a sign of moral failure and that the Irish were lazy and that's why we lay in a circle of poverty, violence and rebellion. Potato cultivation was too easy, only requiring a few months' labour a year, breeding idleness and when it failed, the Irish turned to the government to feed them. London feared the Irish were becoming habitually dependent on government aid and Trevelyan thought the way to save Ireland was modernisation and agricultural reform. He wanted an anglicised Ireland, essentially. He wanted to get rid of Ireland's communal village life. He saw the blight as a godsend opportunity to rewrite Irish history. So, when Trevelyan started his reformed relief plan, it was no surprise that the main focus was no, not to feed the starving, but instead to protect the free market, prevent abuse and start teaching economics to farmers. Cornmeal was sold at market price. They closed all food depots apart from the few in the West and Trevelyan insisted Irish purchase maize only from Britain and no longer America. Job seekers' wages were based off performance rather than a flat daily fee, and even the highest wages couldn't support a family of two. He also argued high food prices would attract food imports. However, as you can guess, they didn't, and the prices had gone up even higher than ever. Across Ireland, small farmers and agricultural workers were thrown into destitution. They gathered in towns to beg for food at depots, and they began work in workhouses, what a lot of people would have considered a prison for the poor, as they worked horrible jobs for two meals a day. Despite people's desperation, however, the eviction rate increased, and a lot of the time they'd have to bring in police and soldiers to throw families out and then destroy their homes. Some tenants would kill livestock out of anger and rarely ambush and murder landlords. They often pitched tents and ditches and the crime rate started to soar. In smaller farms, barley rotted in the fields. So usually farmers would pay harvesters to come harvest. But because of the famine, they neither had the money to pay them nor the potatoes to feed them. To make matters worse, that winter, a series of blizzards crossed Ireland, covering villages in snow. Soon, New Year dawned on what would be known now as Black 47. January quickly brought on a strange frenzy. Families who were basically skeletons started to stumble to the shore and eat seaweed and oysters. They'd climb cliff edges to steal birds' eggs. Many people wondered why they didn't survive off fish. They could have. However, they had neither the equipment, boats, or the skill for it. Armed gangs began appearing, ambushing food convoys that belonged to the government and stealing cattle to survive. By January 31st, 700,000 people had turned to working on public works. Malnourished men broke rocks in freezing temperatures, no shoes or coats that they had long ago sold to pawn shops. Many collapsed and died from exhaustion on the side of roads. Many work managers deserted their posts, as violence towards them occurred often. It is said that it's not the hunger that kills you, but the diseases that follow. Many people from poor villages would flee the countryside and carry disease into cities, and infection became rampant in workhouses. Families often lacked the energy to even bury their dead. A huge part of our culture, which is Irish funerals, soon disappeared. No one would gather for fear of the fevers. No one could afford a coffin, and often individual graves became non-existent. Skipperine in County Cork stood out for its deplorable conditions. 
The town had been exasperated by the famine, and after months, the scramble to survive had passed, leaving just a lethargic wait for the grave. People crawled across their cabin floors, barely able to walk. The village quickly became internationally famous from accounts in papers. It inspired people around the globe to raise money for the famine relief. Donations started to flood in from as far as Australia and in the US, even enslaved people and Native Americans raised funds. The international reaction eventually pushed Trevelyan to act. He relented. The British government would support outdoor relief, open soup kitchens and start distributing free meals. However, despite their efforts, it was still too late. It had already affected the planting season and the next crop harvest would be poor. The Irish knew they only had two options, fight for Ireland or leave it. There were a few different social and economic impacts from the famine. Many would say the main victims from the famine were labourers and small farmers. In 1841, 71.5% of holdings were less than 15 acres, but by 1851 the figure was 49.1%. Livestock farming expanded due to attractive prices in Britain and the reduction of transport costs. In 1851, the agricultural economy was still in crisis. However, from the 1850s, change was rapid. Livestock began to increase in values numbers, arable farming declined slowly, and tenant farmer numbers remained relatively stable for the next 50 years. It also led to great social changes. Before the famine, Irish people married young and had big families. However, after the famine, they married later on, and if they didn't have a big farm or steady employment, they would never marry. 75% of population was Catholic, while the 25% was Protestant. In the years after the famine, Irish Catholics became known for their strict observance of the religion, and the Catholic clergy became very powerful among the Irish lifestyle. There was already troubles between Catholics and Protestants before the famine, and the famine made people even more anti-British in Ireland. I'm going to play a quick video for you guys now called Tragedy or Genocide, and while you're watching it, I just want you to think and come up with your own opinion on whether it was a tragedy or it was a genocide. So, for those that don't know, the definition of genocide is the deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or group. Now, obviously, it's a very delicate subject that I definitely didn't know anything about or was taught about in school. And doing research for this podcast, I came across a lot of people speaking about how their opinion was it was genocide or people just saying it was a sad tragedy. So due to the English's involvement, the famine remains a controversial event in Irish history. Some may say the English constituted genocide due to what I was saying before about the exportation of food, crops and livestock. In 1996, secondary schools in New Jersey included the famine in the Holocaust and genocide curriculum. Following criticism of the curriculum, the new Jersey Holocaust Commission requested statements from academics that the Irish famine was in fact a genocide, which obviously there's nothing to prove that it was a genocide, only people's personal opinions. So to finish off, I have an extract from a diary written by a man from County Clare, read by my uncle Finney. I was 30 when the famine swept through Ireland. My family of six were living in a small cabin where rent was five shillings. We relied mainly on potato farming to survive. A single acre of potatoes could yield up to six tonnes of food, enough to feed our family for a year. It had been raining quite a lot. Overnight, a dense fog settled over our puddled fields, an odour of decay permeated the air. Once it cleared, a terrible stillness appeared. Our crops were ruined, destroyed by the blight. The first two years were the worst. We were always hungry, and my family were skeletons. I watched my children turn to skeletons in front of my own eyes. England gave us some, 
corn and maize at the start, but it was poorly ground and caused severe abdominal pains. Because my crop failed, I needed to start earning money somehow. So I joined a public works force earning 10 pence a day. We tried to plant potatoes again in 1846, but within four to five days, stalks and leaves blackened. We were very fortunate and somehow avoided the sickness that many of our neighbours succumbed to. The British had an attitude that the famine was God's punishment towards us Catholics. Despite the fact that many of us were starving, we kept exporting foods to England, oats, eggs, butter, beef and fish. Britain did open soup kitchens for us, but for the 2000 planned, only half opened in 1847. By the end of 47, I was able to do work again in the fields. As the crop was finally healthy, but only one fourth the normal size. That year, Britain passed its extended poor law, shifting the cost of feeding the starving masses and the maintenance of the poor houses to the Irish landlord. This in effect made evicting tenant farmers an effective way for the landlord to lower his taxes. We held on in our little cabin until 49, when a crew of men were brought in to destroy all 30 cabins. Our landlord offered to pay our passage by ship. We survived until 1850, when I put my family on the Princeton boat. The ship took two months. Fortunately, the conditions on board had improved since the crowded ships three to four years earlier. So guys, that brings us to the end of our podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it and learned some interesting new facts as I definitely did while making it. If anyone could tell me how many times I said famine throughout it, that would be really interesting. And yeah, thank you guys for listening. Bye.